Hello listeners, before we begin this episode we've got some exciting news for you. We're doing our first live show at this year's London Podcast Festival in King's Cross on Saturday 14th of September at 12.30 midday. We'll be joined by not one but two special guests, Helen Zaltzman and Martin Olstwick, who you'll know from The Illusionist, Song by Song and Answer Me This podcasts. And yes, it's the same Martin who wrote our lovely theme music. I'm very excited to be chatting to them on stage after the movie. Together we'll be watching Safety Not Guaranteed, Colin Trevorrow's 86-minute time travel comedy from 2012. Afterwards, we'll be having a chat about their choice whilst recording an episode of this very podcast. So for only 9.50, you get to watch a film and see a live podcast recording. And I think that is a total bargain. Tickets are available now from kingsplace.co.uk. The link is in the show notes. That's Saturday, 14th September at 12.30 midday. See you there. Ahoy, sexy! I'm Sam Clements, and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. This is a podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime and is entirely curated by guests on this podcast. Today, we're joined by Karina Antrobus, founder of the Bechdel Test Fest. Hello, Karina. Hello, Sam. I mean, founder of the Bechdel Test Fest does not do your CV justice because you're also a cinema marketing person, a film distribution person, communications person, and like a key component of the Sundance Film Festival London. It's an impressive CV. Yeah, I always say I do pretty much everything in film bar making films. Well, it's all of the important stuff, really. Yeah, yeah I, get, I get people to see the films. Which is, is why make the films if nobody is watching them? Exactly. A very key component and a nice way to connect with the audience. Mm, I think so. Bechdel test. Mm. I feel like some listeners to this podcast may not know what that is. Is there a Bechdel test 101 which you can reel off? There is. I've said it many times in the last five years. The Bechdel test itself is a very low bar three-step measure that applies to any film. And in order to pass, it needs to have two women that have a conversation with each other about something other than a man. And it's very silly and quite funny but it's very poignant in looking at the demographics of how many actually fail and we're looking at about 50% which is actually quite disheartening when you think of how easy it is to pass that test and how you know all Julie has to say to Katie is can you tell me the way to Sacramento and that's and it's passed it doesn't actually say much about the depth or the dynamics of those characters so yeah 50% is quite pathetic I think. But all of the big Hollywood studio movies, they all pass, right? Oh, yeah, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Quite alarmingly, for instance, uh, Disney has got a very low success rate. In particular, even the princess films, they very rarely actually have friends that they talk to. It's always like a a, a, a crab or a toy monkey or something like that. The more you have films that have got female directors or female characters, then obviously they pass more frequently. But yeah, the big studios have a lot more work to be done. So do you remember when you first heard about the Bechdel test and thought, actually, maybe there's a way to incorporate this more into people's film going habits and, and maybe curate people's film viewing? Yeah, absolutely. So I used to work as a film journalist a lot more frequently. I still write when I can. At the time, I was doing a regular piece on feminism in film and I was doing my monthly roundup and looking at what was out there in terms of fe feminism in film and what, what positives there were out there. And I came across 
an article on A-rate, which is in Sweden. And the A-rate was basically a marketing tool that was applied to films that passed the Bechtel test. It was founded by a very incredible woman called Ellen Tajil. She still applies it now. And I just, my mind was blown. I was just like, okay, so for, for a start, you've got this interesting measure of essentially feminine, well, female position in film and then you've also got this marketing tool and I, I work in marketing I find it very fascinating and I, I, I like seeing how it's applied in ingenious ways and yeah a real light bulb moment went over my head and how a whole country was then using it as a classification system and how illuminating it was and how positive it was that there were film distributors that actually wanted to use this classification system on their films to signal that yes this film passes the test and hopefully with flying colours. I then, I think it was at a time when I was redundant and I had a lot of time on my hands and I just thought, sorry, I'm going to go to Sweden and meet this per person. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, so I went to Sweden and I met Ellen, Ellen and she was incredibly open and welcoming. She actually has a cinema, a beautiful art house cinema called Bio Rio, I think. And I went over there and she took, gave me a tour. And during my interview with her, because I was writing it up for a piece, she said, oh, well, the Betzel test itself is 30 years old next next year. And again, with my marketing head on, I was just like, hold, hold on, 30. 30 is a good anniversary. 30th anniversary. What can we do to celebrate the Betzel test? Because so many people still don't know about it. And then I thought, right, well, what I'll do is I'll do a one-year celebration, the 30th anniversary of the Betzel test. And then I needed a name. I mean, Betzel test first kind of felt natural and then yeah so the follow I, I spent the rest of that particular year figuring out how to make the logo and what I was going to do and the programming and then the following year I just launched with a whole bunch of events got a great team and yeah we worked really really hard and delivered a lot of events and discussions and yeah it was great then I guess it's lasted longer than that year and the great thing is it is still happening now and and when you're not doing events you're still you know like talking about these issues and championing yeah. those films like i love every friday you do films with a, like that are female-led so yeah. not necessarily films with a female director but it could be yeah but also films with a female writer films with a strong female lead or Absolutely. or films of course that meet the bechdel criteria exactly i mean i i really enjoy the fact that we are an always on approach to looking at the representation for women in film we're not and because we're an ongoing screening series the word festival is a loose term and we just put on events as and when we can there's four of us and we work incredibly hard and we've got full-time jobs so we put on these events in between the, the 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 very little free time that we have but through our social through our newsletter through our website we always talk about the, fr the, the friday releases and it's just about making sure that, that conversation is kept alive and it isn't just a one-off festival on a rainy weekend in September it's you know these films are being made all the time and they need all the attention and love that they can get especially when they might not necessarily have a huge marketing budget and I think if we can provide an audience to those films that I think are underserved a lot of the time in marketing budgets then that makes me happy when we were prepping for this i was thinking what films in the 90 minutes or less film festival would pass ah, the test yes we're coming up to about 20 movies now and actually only three films so far passed the test oh my god um, oh. And it's really interesting because i guess as a bit of a social experiment these are all films that have been selected by people so completely different people <laughs> and they've obviously gravitated towards films for really good reasons mm. uh, but it's just interesting you know i guess like 
you say it's like 50 50 pass yeah. but we're actually below 50 percent. terrible uh, <laughs> <laughs> terrible you need to up your game sam well this is why you're invited onto the show i mean hopefully oh. the film you've chosen passes to i the think third. that three is going to become a four uh, but currently we've got my neighbor totoro brief okay. encounter from david lean and parsley days from andrea dorfman and those oh, films pass the okay test. okay good maybe we'll throw this in as a, as a question in the future yeah yeah there you go stick an a rate on it when I got in touch about this film festival, you obviously watch films in many, many different ways. Do you watch a film and look out for the runtime? I do. I do. I'm a busy lady. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to sit in the cinema for four hours. But no, sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. But I will make sure that I plan those ones around, say, a hangover or okay. a Sunday <laughs> or a time when I don't have to like rush back and get to bed. So was it an easy decision when I got in touch for you to choose a film? Yeah. It was, because the film that I've chosen did instantly come into my mind, although I wasn't 100% sure, because the normal question is, okay, what's my favourite film? I've mm. got to go and talk on a podcast about a film I love. What's my favourite films? And then it's like, oh, do all my, some of the, and yeah, I did have a look at some of the run times and they didn't all clock up. This is in my top, I don't know, top 10 films and with the run times, like, yeah, well, there you go, done. <laughs> But I did have a little, I did. I, I thought about it a lot. I know what I'm like. I, I came with the one that I wanted. And I was like, oh, maybe there's another one. Maybe there's another one. And then just came back to the original idea. of like, no, you had it right first time. That's like how I shop for shoes. Exactly. That's <laughs> so how I shop for biscuits. <laughs> so, Karina, what film did you choose for the 90 Minutes or Less film first? I chose Francis Ha. Greta Gerwig gives a glowing performance as Frances, a 20-something woman living in New York, who dreams of being a dancer and, despite the obstacles that stand in her way, lives her life with unaccountable joy and lightness. Frances Ha is the critically acclaimed New York comedy from director Noah Baumbach about friendship, love, being young and dreaming big. I remember when this film came out in like 2013 in the UK yeah. and it caused a bit of a stir. Yeah, this is one of the films actually that was probably the seeds of creating Bechtel Test Fest because I was working in film marketing at the time and this came out and there was hardly any budget given to us in comparison to say a big, again, Disney film or something like that. And I just remember thinking, this is a special film. This is really, really resonating with me and I really love and hate it and all this all the, it was giving me all these feels and I just hated the fact that it might just disappear. So as the back of the box sort of alludes to, directed by Noah Baumberg, I don't think it mentions it's co-written by Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumberg. Yeah, this uh, is it. Based on an idea which I think Greta Gerwig had a very long time ago and it's apparently something that she sort of pieced together over time so she just sort of kept making notes mm. uh, for maybe different films but mm. then they all came together for this one film. It stars Greta Gerwig as Francis, 86 minutes long incredible runtime uh, and at the time I don't know if you remember much of the press around this but it was referred to by Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach as a secret film they said oh we've got something up our sleeves Greta Gerwig did say in one interview she's working on a secret project and it sort of transpired that it was they were saying you know being quite vague about it because they shot the film in sort of disparate blocks mm. just when they had time as and when because it is quite a low budget film mm. Greta Gerwig started writing the script in 20, 2009 they shot the film over the course of a year mm. and then they released it in 2013. It's like a nice block mm. of time. It's really romantic as well. You think about that they're actually a couple mm. and they've obviously met elsewhere and then they've walked together on this in a secret... I guess it's like that secret romance going on behind closed doors and they're just like, oh, we want to... We're making something together and it's going to be beautiful. But yeah, I think that's really quite sweet. 
I think it also all of those ingredients feel right in this film for mm-hmm. people who haven't seen the film. I mean, pause this podcast and and go and watch the film, and we'll be here when you come back. But uh, <laughs> we'll I, wait. I, <laughs> but it is a beautiful black and white film, and that's uh, I mean, all of the publicity are these amazing monochrome shots, and I think because it is this film which there isn't a lot of expectation on, and they're totally in control. You know, we'll shoot it when we can. Mm. Uh, we'll make it up of your notes. Mm. Oh yeah, we'll just, like shoot it. Let's shoot it how we want to shoot it, black and white. I would. I can't imagine a studio would rush out and fund a black and white film. No, it's it's it's, it's unfortunately a bit of a hard sell. Not that it can't be done. Mm. I mean, we uh, ourselves did it ourselves last year with um, Sally Potter's The Party, and mm. didn't it? You know, that didn't cause us any problems. It was great. But yeah, I, I think again at that time I was a little less fluent in independent film, and I was kind of reviewing more mainstream movies. And this was my insight into what independent film could and can be and how special it can be. I don't remember ever having a problem with the black and whiteness of it, other than it just really added to the uh, the New York romance of it and the, the very Woody Allen-ish of it, which is obviously a, a point of reference for them. But I also just quite like the fact, like looking at it now, that the black and whiteness is almost synonymous with the way it's trying to look at life in that it it's ironic in that France's wishes, in a way, life was black and white, in the way that when you're younger you think life is black and white and right and wrong, and then it's not as you grow up. And I think the colour is almost added in there by the characters. She herself is a very colourful character and she's all the colour you need. So this is a good point. You really do focus on a lot of the, the action from the characters mm. and mm. in that world where there's people who are sort of growing up around her and she's sort of clinging onto these dreams. Mm. I think it, yeah, sort of heightens that. Mm. And it's time. It makes it timeless. Um, it gives it that classic feel. And the story is a very classic story, incredibly so. And it always will be. Friendships are very intense, and then they break apart. It's like a, a latter-day coming-of-age story in yeah. that respect, yeah. which I think a lot of people can identify with. Not that you have to have lived in New York in a cool apartment today. You know, you, you just see bits of your own life in this. Film. Absolutely, and this is certainly something that resonated with me. It was, it was such. Um, it really resonated in a way that I was, wasn't ready for because it was. Um, it's such a great female friendship story, such a great love story with herself, mm. and also what female friendships can be and the messiness of it. And at the time. I was having <laughs> some domestics, domestic issues with my, my with my wife, but that's essentially what it was. My, me and my best friend, we basically had that same relationship, that same intensity. We met at university, we slept in the same bed, we did everything together, we accidentally wore the same clothes, we'd finish each other's sentences, and inevitably we we started to splinter off as life started taking hold and the necessities of life started kicking in though we definitely had a lot of those conversations about oh why don't we live together we we should definitely do this why would you not and it at that time it made so much sense because we were in each other's world so much and we remember having 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 a, a very genuine conversation about oh you know when you have a husband he'll just know that he's second fiddle like he'll he'll get it and if he doesn't then I won't marry him as if it was the most simple thing. Yeah, so I just found it very sweet and I kind of needed it. I needed its catharsism to make me realise that I wasn't the only one going through this kind of breakup. But then how it doesn't need to be a breakup and that it's just an evolve, evolving relationship. And me and my best friend are still very much 
wife and wife. Yeah. <laughs> well, it does sound like, because the film does such a good job at the beginning to show like the perfect balance, you know, these two university friends living together, mm. Francis and her friend Sophie, played by Mickey Sumner uh, in the film. And like there's this great montage at the beginning of them doing all of their sort of day-to-day activities and goofing around, dancing in the park, mm. and getting the tube and running around. And, and it's so good. And the first line of the film doesn't come in for a couple of minutes. It's just them cooking. And yeah. I think Francis says, uh, I tried to make frittata, but it's now scrambled. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. that, and that's just like, you know, I made a thing, it failed, but let's delete it. And exactly. And that's so beautiful and so romantic. And, you know, just the, the act of people cooking for one another and just eating whatever it is that comes out of the pan, no matter what it is, you're going to sit and share it together because eating together is such a connection, such a wonderful thing that has to be done every day. But if you can share it with somebody special, then it just heightens that moment. I think the film does such a good job in that beginning. It is quite sad when things start to change. Mm. The that that perfect friendship is is so idealized and it's so well realized mm. you you love these guys and also because you're looking at through Francis's eyes who is very determined that they will always be together mm. at mm. the beginning of the film she has the opportunity to move him into her boyfriend and she basically says i think i want to live with sophie yeah yeah <laughs> and and you know, that, you know that, that's sort of the end of that and it's quite interesting like you know and you're just oh because francis is you know revoked her boyfriend like she's gonna live with sophie and it's just gonna be this great journey yeah but obviously life has to move on this is it. and it's, it's funny even when she when her best friend does sophie does move out with a patch i mean <laughs> for a start no no friend of mine is gonna marry anyone called patch but anyway <laughs> when she moves out with patch she tries to make herself a cup of tea and she makes she obviously sophie's taken the kettle so she's making a cup of tea with the pan and she grabs the pan and it's hot because she's not used to making a cup of tea with a pan and she's just suddenly out of sync with the way the kitchen works without Mm. Sophie and it's just those little details that make you realise how thoughtful this whole thing has been to create this relationship between two people and how kind of at a loss she is without her initially but then she does find her footing later. I'm so glad you're here. You look great. Really great. Could you see me? Yeah, we were on the riser so we could see to the back. Who? Sorry, had to take a leak. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Should we all go out for a quick drink? A quick drink? Yeah, we have to get up early tomorrow. Tomorrow's Saturday. We have to catch a flight in the morning. Meet my parents in the Galapagos. I haven't packed yet. You know me. <laughs> Last minute, Mabel. Ronald Rule follower. <laughs> Maybe this uh, sort of lends itself to what Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig said about shooting the film in blocks. The whole film is sort of separated by these title cards which say Francis's new address. Because mm. you do move around you know, when you're in your 20s, you move into different flats and apartments and things. Mm. And I thought it did such a good job. It doesn't explain the passing of time really, but mm. you just know some time has passed yeah. when the new address comes up on screen. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, very, it's very fluid and there's no real announcement of any of the characters, yet you always... You know, nobody kind of steps on the stage and says, this is the person that's going to be the love interest. And mm. it, it trusts the audience to appreciate the the way people drift in and out enter stage right leave stage left and that's fine i I love the way that the time goes and it's all it's full of travel 
It's full of transportation. It's full of her moving from one place to the next. She's always got a backpack on. She's running. She's on a train. She's on a plane. And there's always some mode of movement in her. And it's it's very synonymous with exactly what the film is about, which is the journey of your 20s. And I think the fact that she's 27 as well is quite an, an, an interesting one because of the, what is it, the curse of the 27-year-old? Like most people, that's the t- that's the age when everyone's just like, right, I'm either going to survive, fight or f- fight or, f- what is it, fight or flight? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. word, yeah, <laughs> fight or flight. And your 30s are like, so, you know, on the horizon, and yeah. 30 feels so old. Yeah, age. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that you've got it all sorted out and everything's fine, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I think you're right about the, I, I didn't really pick up on the fact Francis is always moving, but you're right, mm. she's moving... Like, or dancing. Or, yeah, she's she's... Mo- there's so much movement in in everything she does. And even her eating is so fast and she fumbles over her food and everything's a little imperfect. And I, I love that. And I think that maybe ties into the black and white element and why it, that's neat. The black and white is neat, but everything else is a bit of a mess, but still so beautiful. Life. Also, in terms of thinking about this this festival, you know, it, you know, it gets in because they don't dwell on things for too long. They give you just what you need, mm. but you don't need to know how she got from apartment A to apartment B. Yeah. She just did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and see, so they can just sort of cut that out. And I quite like that loose approach to sort of narrative. Like mm. she is here. I don't need to tell you why because that's mm. not important. What's important is when what happens when she's in the room. Mm. Mm, absolutely, and I think it's a really important moment to observe when. She goes home to is it Sacramento. Yeah. This is such an important moment because this is her grounding herself. This is her realising that she needs to go back to basics and go home, see her family, get her teeth done, which is probably what her parents paid for. You know, still that element of needing a little bit of home comfort and looking after because she's not yet a fully. I think she says it in the film, actually. I'm not a real human yet. I'm not a real person yet because she's not because she still needs to go home and, you know, get her teeth done by by her dad's credit card and playing with the dog and it's just that moment those very tender moments where she's talking to her family that really connect her to exactly who she is and who she was and then she's spat back out into her world in New York that she has decided to create for herself in order to force herself to grow up just because you bought dinner doesn't mean I'm going to sleep with you I'm not trying to sleep with you no I was pretending to be a liberated woman oh I got it (laughs) thanks for paying That's very sweet. You're a lady. I'm sorry, but the card didn't go through. Do you have another card you want to try? Oh, shit. Sorry. Um, uh, this is a debit card? Only credit cards are cash. Okay. I'm so embarrassed. I'm not a real person yet. I think we sort of see throughout this film like Francis's like attempts, many attempts to sort of keep the life she had with Sophie when Sophie has gone mm. to be with Patches. And mm-hmm. we sort of see her moving into very different living situations, one with two boys, uh, another oh. with a girl who doesn't really like her that much. Yes, of course. <laughs> I mean, we haven't even started on Adam Driver yet. <laughs> uh, I mean, at the time, so Greta Gerwig was quite big in, in sort of mumblecore films, yeah. with lots of Joe Swanberg movies. She had also done a few Hollywood films like the Arthur remake with Russell Brand, which is oh. no one's finest hour. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I knew that. Yeah, well, maybe I just go. blocked it from my memory. It's like, no, that never happened. Uh, so she sort of like dabbled, <laughs> I think, and then it's sort of like, so she's explored the various sort of acting roles and mm. then she's sort of come back to this. But we also see Adam Driver pre-Star Wars. Current, I think Girls had maybe just started. Yes, So which made it interesting because Girls was this cultural phenomenon. It's like, yay, Girls, Adam Driver. And But what I liked about Francis Hart is that with Adam Driver he was really able to lean into his sex appeal. Whereas I think girls, he was there as a, as, as this kind of sexy man, but a bit awkward and a little bit weird. And so you kind weird. of, so weird, right? <laughs> and he, But with, with, with Francis Ha, he was this confident, 
dude with this leather jacket and a motorcycle and the ultimate the ultimate fuckboy as, yeah, yeah, as because every time you see him he's with a new girl yeah and it's so yeah. like blasé about it yeah <laughs> it's, it's great and i think I, I enjoy seeing that of adam driver i think everything afterwards still to this day we, we're not able to appreciate him as an actual heartthrob but he actually is a very attractive man in a very mysterious way and that's okay <laughs> So the filmmakers throw in a lot of information inadvertently, you know, like they're not sort of, like you say, spelling it out for the audience, but there's sort of clues there. And I like the, they, Adam Driver's, one of his, like one night stand stays over for breakfast and she also knows Sophie. Yeah. And Greta Gerwig's character, Francis, is just telling her, oh, I've got this best friend, you know, we're basically the same person, mm. uh, Sophie. And then, mm. then the one night stand sort of tells her some information she doesn't know. Yeah. And you just start to see like the flaws in her Francis's sort of outlook like Francis is still idealizing this yeah but Sophie is clearly moving on and not always keeping Francis up to date yeah maybe Sophie doesn't think that they are the same person yeah it is heartbreaking because you're literally listening to this woman going I love this person and then, then you're hearing from this other person uh, I don't think she loves you as much as you think and so it is literally watching a breakup splintering apart and her heart is just breaking for and then this whole self-exploration of trying to mend herself put herself back together and create a, create a personality that isn't just attached to being Sophie's best friend. She's actually Frances. But then she's Frances Hart. <laughs> um, what is her surname, in it's fact? It's uh, Halliday. Halliday, that's it. I, I love the fact that it doesn't even matter. I like the poignancy of it being called Frances Hart because she's got her whole name spelt out and she's trying to shove in the whole name into the card holder of her apartment mm. but it only goes as far as Francis Ha so yeah. the rest is cut off and I think that's so interesting because it's like we're all just a version of ourselves we're all we're all ourselves but a little bit is always cut off <laughs> you know for a film which is you know obviously set in New York yeah everybody keeps mm. saying that on the back of the burb and, and the box uh, it does have scenes in Sacramento but also Paris yeah which is like the ultimate like I'm trying to prove I'm an adult scene, yes. which comes off the, the back of a, a dinner with some very grown-up people with oh, jobs I, yeah. and a couple who were that. lawyers with an apartment in Paris and, and Francis sort of feeling a bit out of her depth. Yeah. Someone yeah. did that thing that always happens, you know, I've got a, a place you can use, I've got a thing, you can borrow it. And no one ever says, yes, I'll come over and I'll borrow your <laughs> drill uh, or whatever. But these this couple says, oh, we've got an apartment in Paris. If you're ever there, yeah. uh, you know, let us know. And, and Francis decides there and then she's actually going to go to Paris. Oh, yeah. I love that dinner party scene because she says everything that she everything that she's saying is what I would internalise. I would sit there and try to be smart and funny and actually not really pull it off very well and all the things that I wish I could say she would just she just is like sorry I'm gonna say it and see how it lands and then she gets more drunk and she then she as she goes into a uh, a, a, a chat then she essentially she ends up sounding high <laughs> and then she's like oh I sound stoned <laughs> and that, she just leaves <laughs> there's that great which sort of sums up the whole scene I think when the lawyer sort of turns to her and says what do you do and she goes it's complicated and yeah she's like, why because what you do is complicated and she says no because I don't do it <laughs> yeah and I think this is it this is exactly it and when you're growing up you have this idea of what you want to most people have this idea of what they want to do as a career or a lifestyle and they're like oh you know and I've done it before I want before I was writing I'd say oh I'm a writer there'd always be a question mark on the end yeah I, th I think that line's so poignant I don't really do it <laughs> yet but there's always a sense of yet there's a question mark but there's a there's a yet coming and you, you believe in her and I think as well, like she wants to be a dancer, and uh, let's face it, she's not the best dancer. She's not going to be Beyonce's backing singer anytime, and dancer anytime too soon. But where, when you're young and righteous and so full of energy, you've got this idea of exactly what you want to be, 
And then life kicks in and starts unpicking the fabric of that self-confidence. And then you find a way to make some of your original idea work for you. So she then ends up becoming a choreographer, but not a dancer. And I think that is so mature. That's showing maturity. It's showing that she's aware that she isn't the best at that element, but she's going to use the passion for it elsewhere. And I think we've all done that in some way. You just make do with what you're given. And I think there's a lot of maturity in that that comes with your later 20s and into your 30s. Like, okay, I'm doing this. And we're all just making it up as we go along. It's that thing when you're with someone and you love them and they know it and they love you and you know it, but it's a party and you're both talking to other people and you're laughing and shining and you look across the room and catch each other's eyes, but, but not because you're possessive or it's precisely sexual, but because that is your person in this life. Let's talk about Greta Gerwig. Let's. So, what when you, you're wearing a Greta Gerwig t-shirt, I Girls am. on Tops, which is a, a, a beautiful thing. I'm not wearing, I have that t-shirt. I thought I'd wear Lynn Ramsey today. I didn't get the memo. Uh, Man, <laughs> did you not get my memo this morning? Were you, before you saw this film, which sounds like you saw it sort of on release yeah. back in 2013, were you a Greta Gerwig fan at the time or was this your, your gateway into the world of Gerwig? This was my gateway. This was certainly my gateway and I hadn't, I hadn't seen like Arthur. Yeah, <laughs> the Arthur remake. I haven't seen that. I'm definitely going to go watch that now. But I, I I just instantly fell in love with her. I just thought she was so great and, and, and because she was imperfect. But yet there was an element of confidence with her. She was just like, you know, I'm just this girl. And everything she said wasn't quite articulate or as poetic as you kind of have it in your head. But I just connected with that character and then seeing her in interviews and just realizing that actually there's a lot of her in in Francis and just noticing an authenticity that I really enjoyed watching and I I think the rest of her work has also taken on board her own personality and I think that's refreshing I see a lot of of her in her characters and there's a lot of wise observations as to way the world is and I enjoy her interpretation of life in her films. In a quite famous scene in Ladybird, it was one of the scenes that was pulled for all the promotional stuff of mm. the character Ladybird, Sir Sharonan, in a like a, a thrift store buying dresses and they're having this heated argument, mother and daughter, yep. and then they see a $2 dress yep. and it stops the argument. Yep. And that, that scene is in Francis High. I didn't realise. I was so used to it in Ladybird because it was in like the EPK and the, tri- the clips and the trailers. Yeah. It, there's a brief montage where she's getting her teeth done, as you mentioned, but they go, they're in a store with her mum and they pick out a dress. And it's like, that's the Ladybird scene. Of course. So it's interesting seeing like the genesis of some like yeah. later Gerwig ideas yeah, yeah. In, in that. And I Maybe she of, thought she didn't get it quite right in Francis Hart. She's like, I'm going to sharpen this. You wait. Well, in Francis Hart, it's like, like I mean, it's not a five minute version of Ladybird, but it sort of almost is. Like, it's a good uh, companion piece for sure. Girl back with her parents. So mm. It's almost like Ladybird a few years later. Mm. Well, but this is it with Ladybird. A lot of people were talking about the mother-daughter relationship, which it absolutely is. But I definitely connected even more so with the relationship that Ladybird has with her best friend. I think that is a heartbreaking and wonderful, magical trajectory of their friendship. And again, I've I've been there. I've dumped some of my girlfriends because I didn't think that they were cool enough, and then realised that actually they're the best thing about life, and tried to get back with them. And I just thought, not enough people were talking about how much this is. A, 
one of the greatest female friendship films that that year has created and has ever since. Francis Hart is in the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival. Yes. We're in the cinema. Francis Hart is going to play in front of what I hope is a packed audience because it's oh, a yeah. great movie. Sold out. It's sold out well in advance. Cues around the corner. Are, they're t- put another screening on, put another yeah. screening on. And I'm saying, no, Begging. we only have 90 minutes, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Ban them away with a broom. Terrible. We're in this great environment where you have to show people the film. How would you like to present the film? What would be your optimum screening of, of Francis Ha? Okay, so it would have to be on a big screen, great sound quality. I mean, I guess something, a, a screen that would be tap into the retro feel of it. So maybe like Ritzy, mm-hmm. Pitch House Ritzy or The Phoenix in Finchley or just straight up Pitch House Central Screen 1. Greta Gerwig would have to be there, obviously, because she's just awesome and she just adds so much extra articulation to the movie and appreciation to the movie. I think I'd like to do see her do an intro. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the intro, the way that it can really set up the enjoyment and the context and the positioning of a film before you go in and watch it, especially for... Now, I actually think it's quite an accessible mumblecore in inverted commas um, film but for those that might not necessarily get or appreciate A being in black and white B being a little bit loose and and floppy but I think those are the things that make it beautiful and I would love somebody to position that before they enjoy it so it's almost like putting the oil into the bath before people sink in it's funny I so I actually screened this for Bechtel Test Fest years ago and we did a very sweet thing where we wrote letters to our best friends so I, I, I wrote this letter and my other Bechtel buds did the same and we, we talked about a very poignant f- female friendship that we had had and it really gave us an opportunity to talk about the importance of those relationships that have had the impact of those relationships and how important it is to see those on screen so that we can add architecture to our emotions and validation to the way we feel when they go right or when they don't go right that personally was a lovely project for me whether that would work in a 300 seat audience I don't know but I'd love to hear Greta Gerwig write a letter to her best friend she's obviously coming from a place of wisdom like who is this person that she's talking to in when she's writing these characters and I believe that there's somebody in there that um, I'd love to know more about I think it would be really interesting to hear Greta Gerwig talk about this film now as well, just mm. because so much has happened in her professional life yeah. uh, and her own life as well. She's yeah. even further, you know, she, this is about her in her 20s. Mm. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I'd love to hear how she views this now, you know, and, and, and I think it could be quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't actually want this, but I'd love to fantasize about the idea of having a Francis R. 10 years on. It'd be great to have some kind of role play as to what Francis R. at 37 would be. Maybe that's the, maybe that's so that's the thing. It's a it's a workshop. Yeah, improv. Yeah. I, I want that. I want that. We can make this happen. I think the audience would be well into that. Well, I, I yeah, I would I would go to that screening. I think that would be a, a wonderful thing to do. We'd obviously need to have the banging soundtrack playing oh, God. as people well, yeah, enter the screen. Post yeah, post party. <laughs> like do the intro, just nice solid intro. Greta Gerwig, yay! Party afterwards, hot chocolates all round. So I think you sort of alluded to it in maybe wanting a bit more of this film, but do you think this film could or should be longer than 90 minutes? No. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> just, just no. It doesn't need to be any... It's so perfect the way it is. It's such a snippy, poignant... Everything is 
said in this very loose but succinct way and it's just kind of a mess of contradictions but so perfectly formed and I think that is fine the way it is let's just leave it well, there we are. Francis R. is not only screening at the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, but there's going to be a live appearance from Greta Gerwig yep. and a semi-improved sequel performed for one night only on stage, <laughs> uh, which Greta doesn't know about yet, yeah. but she's well up for. And she's going to bring out her best friend because there is a best friend. We don't know who she is yet. She's going to come out. That's true. I don't know. Yeah. You have to be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Karina, where can people find out more about your work online and see what you're up to on social media? So you can find me on Twitter on Karina Karina, uh, that's double R1N, or Bechtel Test Fest on all the usual platforms. And yeah, check us out. Every Friday we'll tell you what the female releases are going to be and then we have events as and when we can. We've also got our own podcast now, which is very exciting, and it's called Who Is She? And we highlight the extraordinary work of a particular woman in film. We sometimes have interviews. Our last one it was with Josephine Decker, where we interviewed the director of Madeline's Madeline. So we talk about her life and times and we also had the interview with her. And then the last one was Regina Hall because we were hailing the release of Support the Girls. And the next one's coming up, all being well, will be Agnes Varda. No interview. Sorry, she died. Um, <laughs> but we are going to hopefully interview Joanna Hogg. Cool, that Very sounds exciting. Excited. That's yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, well, no, yeah, it's a, it's a new podcast, so listeners, please do go check it out. Give them a rating. Thank you very much, Karina, for talking to us today. Thank you, listeners, for listening to the show. Uh, you can contact us on 90 Min Film Fest on Twitter and Instagram, and we have a website, which is 90minfilmfest.com, which is 90minfilmfest. It's got transcriptions on there and uh, all of our back catalogue, three of which pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> We are also doing our first live show at the London Podcast Festival on 14th of September. Tickets are on sale now. Please check the show notes for a link. We've got special guests Helen Zaltzman and Martin Ostwick. The show is produced by me, Sam Clements, and Louise Owen. The show is edited by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Karina. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>